Welcome to the 
she has sometimes been called a death goddess, but she is um, symbolic of this sort of sign, silence and stillness of winter at the moment that the old year dies. So they think that perhaps um, she and Voluptia were different aspects of the same goddess at one point, you know, the life and the death, the silence and the, the, the sorrow and the pleasure, that sort of thing. Um, especially yeah. because uh, she was associated with healing angina, which are, of course, pains in the heart. Interesting. I was thinking, you know, what the silence in the Temple of Pleasure is, what stay, what happens in the temple stays in the temple kind of thing. <laughs> what happens so, in Voluptia stays uh, in Voluptia. <laughs> so just the <laughs> kind of thing that happens there. Perhaps, perhaps. Um, but that's that's what we know about Angerona or Angerona. Um, there's also an Italian uh, goddess, uh, Befana or Epiphiana. They think Befana might be the shortened version of Epiphiana, but that is um, she is the one from which the fe- the feast of Epiphany is derived. She's also called the Lady of the Twelfth Night. And she, um, her, her festival, Bafana's Day, was January 5th. And she represents the period, the, the end of the solstice period, when the sun resumes its movement towards spring. She's also called La Vecchia de Natali, the Christmas Old Woman. And, uh, you know, as... Um, as we moved into Christian times, she was turned into a witch, like a lot of happened to a lot of the goddesses. As we and, talked about, indeed. Yes, and uh, so the the ritual for um, Befana's day turned into um, an image of an old woman constructed of old clothes, stuffed with food, and either hung outside or ritually burned on January 5th. Isn't that an amazing journey of a goddess? Um, now, yeah, it's also, I mean, uh, as we know, infuriating uh, in all senses of the word. But what, when you say Italian, now you're... What time period are you specifically referring to? Or I, I mean, again, I'm asking just for the listener. I, I'm, I wanted to be kind of surprised by this. So I'm asking along as, as I hear these names. So, is there a sense of, I mean, when they say Italian, are they meaning folk Italian, post-Roman? Yes. Yes. Okay, gotcha. Yes. Exactly. So, at post-Roman, but pre-Christian um, uh, conversion. Yeah, so probably because me diving into my love of Rome, probably because some Constantines and uh, we have a pagan Rome still there, then Rome becomes Christian. So maybe it's like outskirts sort of. Yeah, I mean, all throughout Europe, um, you know, long after Christianity became sort of the official religion, um, the, the people you know, from which the word, the peasants from which the word pagan derives, um, continued to honor the old festivals, a lot of which were closely associated with the wheel of the year, the turn of the seasons, and that would include the winter solstice with it. So a lot of these characters, and we'll come up against this when we uh, look at Holda, but, um, you know, a lot of these goddesses were still, um, folk traditions still continued um, that included honoring them or using their, um, any ritual items that were associated with them or animals that were associated with them or images that were associated with them. Um, it took a long time for the church to sort of strip that out of the rhythm of everyday lives um, for people who lived, you know, who weren't living in the cities or um, under the close watch of the church establishment. We always talk about, I mean, obviously it's been a through line with a lot of things that we discussed, this idea that the need 
that we feel for that feminine divine, for the goddess, and the fact that it's just, you know, whenever we talk about this stuff and I hear another story about a goddess being stripped, it's it's just, again, it's 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 heart-wrenching in, in many ways. It's like this loss, this real loss. And it's also, I guess it, it can be a little angering at times too when I hear about it because it's so targeted towards the goddess specifically or goddesses in a general sense. Well, you know, the goddess was such a threat to uh, to the church establishing itself as the only source of the divine. So they went after her with a passion. Let me ask you again, I'm just, I'm just, you know, bantering with you about these things. I'm interested in what you picked up off them. Did these goddesses, because you're talking about winter goddesses and, and there are quite a few, did they always have a male consort with them or were I they singular? I did not see a single male consort mentioned with any of these goddesses. Now that's what I was curious about. Cause so let me just ask and we'll explore. We can explore together whether you know it or not. But it's do you is there was there some association with winter and the feminine for some reason? In what do sense? We well I mean that you have winter goddesses as opposed to any winter gods that go, you know are alongside them. You know, a sort of a male the male expression of winter, you know um, I didn't. Uh, I didn't research any male god, male winter gods. I don't. I don't know if there are any. I would yeah, imagine there curious. probably are. Yeah, that's curious. I can, yeah, we could do our real term like they do in the all the other cool kid podcasts where somebody googles it right at that moment. Of course, we do serious research, so we don't just <laughs> Google. So anyway. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so we'll find out and get back to everybody. <laughs> no shade on Wikipedia. <laughs> no. Um, so the next one uh, that I hear has actually been coming up a lot everywhere I turn lately. Um, I think it's because we just passed Groundhog Day, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But um, she is a pre-Celtic... Um, that area of sort of the British Isles goddess. And she is one of the world's great goddesses. She is vastly ancient. Um, she is a manifestation of capital T, capital G, the goddess. Um, so she is very old. Um, and her name I have heard pronounced as Koilach, Kaliach, or just as one writer described it, the sound of a throat clearing. <laughs> That's, yeah. Uh, so I'm going to call her Kaliach. Um, it's, uh, it's spelled C-A-I-L-L-E-A-C-H. Kaliach. And um, she has many names. She's also called Carlin, Caliberi, Black Annis, the Hag of Beer, Dinna, and Kaliachni Grom. Grom. Easy for you to say. Yeah, no, not uh, at all. <laughs> the Irish triad speak of the three great ages the age of the yew tree, the age of the eagle, and the age of the Hag of Bear. So she's thought to be the great goddess of pre-Celtic settlers of the British islands um, mm. or natives of the British islands, I should right, say. Right, right. Uh, because she's frequently found in the lore and traditions of Ireland and Scotland, but is absent in Wales, she seems to be more a Gaelic figure as opposed to a more broadly Celtic figure. Very interesting because there is, I mean, we're obviously, we've, on this work, as we've talked about the Celts a lot, because of those strong, you know, the goddesses and the matriarchal yeah. history. And so, but there's so many different flavors of it. So, yeah, it is interesting to hear that. Okay, so it's just there. Okay. And um, more stories of the Kaliach are found in Ireland, but more traditions relating to her are found in Scotland. Kind of curious. Yeah, I think that's it is, more it, about like the way that Ireland, the Irish culture and the Scottish culture developed, I think. So uh, like many of the great goddesses, she passed through all ages from maiden to mother to crone and back to maiden when she pleased. Um, the Book of Lacan mentions that she had seven youthful periods, married seven husbands and had 50 foster children who founded many tribes and nations. 
Um, in her hag manifestation, she has blue-black skin with only one eye, red teeth, and matted white hair. Um, she is a formidable gal. She carries boulders in her apron, and the ones she drops become mountain ranges. Uh, there's one legend that she created the world by throwing boulders at her neighbor, um, and that she created the islands by towing boulders around with a straw rope until it broke. Uh, she controlled the seasons and the weather and was a cosmic goddess of both earth and sky, moon and sun. So it, it, is this a great mother? I mean, yes, the, the way yeah, we talk about Okay. Definitely. Okay. Maiden Mother Crone. I mean, mm-hmm. she is, she's a great goddess figure with a capital G. Um, she is associated with, with wild animals and is said to guard the wilderness and his animal life. Um, one thing I read that I loved is that she punishes hunters who kill pregnant animals by strangling them with her hair. Oh, that is really an amazing image. Isn't that? Yeah. Yeah. She was, um, she is also associated with farming and the grain harvest. So both the wild world and the domestic world. Uh, one uh, legend says that she rides a white cow with red ears. Um, one of the stories that is uh, very much associated with her is that she owned a farm and she h- hired workers with the stipulation that none would be paid who could not outwork her. So, you know, these men seeing this old stooping hag were like, yeah, sure. But then they died of exhaustion trying to keep up with her. <laughs> Oh, so she, she, so she's kind of a goddess of corporate America. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh okay. Sure. Um, as a harvest goddess, the last sheaf of grain in the harvest is sacred to her. Um, and many traditions sprung up around that last sheaf of grain. In, um, in the area around Belfast, Ireland, the last sheaf is called the granny. And uh, they personify it as the goddess um, and it's achieved not only by naming it but by the special ceremony of the way that they cut that last sheaf of grain in certain sections of scotland it's called the carlin the last sheaf of grain carlin being one of the names for the Kelliach. Um in the scottish isle of lewis um, the Kelliach, it's called the Kelliach. And it's dressed up in clothes with an apron, and uh, the apron is filled with bread and cheese. Um, and uh, the association with um, with the Groundhog Day is that on February first, the tradition was that is the day that the Kaliach gathers twigs for her fire, and if the weather is fine. Then she goes out and she gathers enough fuel to extend winter for another six weeks. But if it's bad weather on that day and it keeps her indoors, then spring comes early. I did hear that. Okay, I do remember hearing this recently. Yes. So that that legend of um, February 1st being the day that, you know, that we know whether winter is going to be longer or shorter uh, extends all the way back to the Kaliach. I just, again, it's very, you know, sadly funny that any way you can replace a goddess, you will, even if you have to use a groundhog. Right. It's, yeah. Whatever works, right? Get rid of that goddess. Whatever we got, we'll put in her place. Oh, my Lord. All right. So um, the Serbian goddess of the winter solstice um, is named Kalida. And uh, this is a Yule log tradition. There was a ceremonial log that they would burn um, as the sunlight drained away on the eve of the winter solstice. And then in the next morning when daylight was reborn, the year was reborn, um, children uh, were served sweet cakes and they'd, um, they'd go knocking on door to door and uh, beg for favors for the sweet maiden goddess of Kalida, who um, promised, who was keeping her promise 
to uh, to revive the new year. Um, she appears in northern Russia as well, uh, called Koliada, and she is a woman who recreates the world each winter solstice by embroidering a new one. That another really beautiful. Isn't that a image. gorgeous yeah. image? Yeah. I think that would resonate with you, no? Absolutely. With the fiber arts, yeah. I'm going to go embroider a new world. <laughs> and then, can't uh, wait. Okay. <laughs> and then there's a Slavic version of this same goddess called Kalita with a K. And songs in her honor are sung on New Year's Day. So hmm. different, slightly different versions of her in different areas of the Slavic world. And then we come to... Um, Holda, who is a Germanic goddess. She's also known as Holle, Hülle, Hol, Hulde, Frau Holda, and Hlodin in the Norse Eddas. Yeah, I've heard of her. Yeah. She, um, there's a Maria Gambutas quote that I found where she talked about how Holla holds dominion over death, the cold darkness of winter, caves, graves, and tombs in the earth, but also receives the fertile seed, the light of midwinter, the fertilized egg, which transforms the tomb into a womb for the gestation of new life. Very interesting. Yeah. So she is a woman's goddess. She is known as a woman's goddess. And she is associated with uh, women's crafts. Um, she has many characteristics. Uh, she is also has three forms, maiden mother hag. Mm -hmm. So she is, again, I think, a great goddess, um, a tradition, a great mother tradition that has sort of come down and been um, sort of diluted and fractured as, uh, as time has gone on. She's very closely associated with um, spinning and weaving. And there are some legends that say that she actually invented flax, that she brought flax to mankind and taught them how to spin it um, and use it as uh, fabric. She's usually seen dressed in snow white with white or silver hair, regardless of whether she is in her young or old aspect. Um, but in her latter, in the crone aspect, she's said to have crooked teeth, a big nose, and one foot flatter than the other from constantly working the spinning wheel. Well, that's just what the, the other kids in the block say about her. They're jealous. <laughs> she's also associated with keys at her belt, which is a sign of the lady of the house. She has, hmm. she holds the keys to everything in the house. Hmm. Um. She's also associated with mistletoe and holly herbs of the winter season, and December 25th is her feast day. Interesting. Um, she is, she, she's sometimes uh, said to have a twin uh, named Pershta, um, and Pershta is sort of given the darker aspects of her. So it's a, a, a female twin? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, although, you know, it, it, she's so old that there's no way to tell, like, did it start as one goddess who had two as who had dual aspects to her? Or did she start as a double goddess in Vicky's tradition, where yeah, one was light and one was dark? We We just don't know. Um, but, um, but Pershta is associated with the wild hunt, the wild ride, um, which, you know, later, um, in the, in the middle ages was, you know, a notorious, um, thing that was associated with witches where they'd, you know, they ride at night and steal children's souls and that sort of thing. So that, um, that sort of aspect of her um, was associated with Pershta, whereas um, Holda was chiefly associated with the sort of household, the hearth, um, the 
cooking, cleaning, childcare. She's a patroness of housewives. And she values above all industriousness. There are tons of folk tales and folk legends about her rewarding women who were diligent workers, who were, you know, industrious workers, and then punishing the ones who were lazy. Could um, you spell both of their names? Holda uh, sure. Holda or Hulda is either H-O-L-D-A or H-U-L-D-A. And then Perchta is a P-E-R-C-H-T-A. Hmm. Okay. Very interesting. Um, Perchta was also called Birchta, Bertha, um, Berat, Perched, Frau Perched, Frau Perta. Yeah. You know, all okay. the all the various different uh, um, derivations of the name. But um, a couple of uh, legends associated with Holda is that um, she she was um, a, a young man was um, hiking and he came into a cave and stumbled across um, Holda seated enthroned with maidens clustered about her, and he she offers to give him a gift. He humbly asks for a cluster of blue flowers that are in her hand. And these were the flowers of the flax plant. So she gave him the flax plant, gave him the flax seed so that he could grow flax and eventually taught his wife to ret, scotch, break, and spin the flax. So she was sort of the beginning of flax culture. Um, there are legends of hard workers who fall asleep over their work would find wake to find all of their spinning had been done for them, whereas lazy women would find their spindles broken or their flax burned. Um, well, hold it to take no prisoners. Yeah, she is not messing around. Yeah, <laughs> like, boy. We do things. Exactly. We are Germans. Oh we are industrious God. Germans. Exactly. Or you get things broken. I know. I mean, oh. you know, this sort of stereotype of the German personality, which, you know, having my mother's family being German, I, I, I see, you know, I see where it springs from. Um, but uh, it's interesting to see like that it, that it goes back all this way. That's yeah, very interesting to see just the kind of sensibility that yeah, um, that we can recognize. It's baked into their 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 folk tradition. Um, she's also considered a protectress of children, and I think this is sort of where um, this is kind of where her and Perchta overlap, um, because both of them were in later times accused of stealing children's souls. But in pre-Christian times, the, the sort of um, indigenous tradition was that children would only be named at nine days old and that in naming them, they became attached to the ancestral tree, the, the sort of um, lineage of the family. So if the children died before that happened. So if they died before they were nine days old, then Holda would take them on and bring them into her family. Well, so, that's, that's a very interesting sense. Yeah. The idea that they have someone, right? You yeah, exactly. Child early, there is someone for them. That she, they don't just disappear, that they become part of her family. And um, so those, Legends later, you know, became about uh, a witch uh, traveling the countryside, snatching the souls of babies. Um, and there is a, there is a canon episcopy written around the fourth century, which, um, you know, you could see that they were already trying to paint her as um, a witch and tied to um, you know, black magic, because she's specifically mentioned. Um, and those who honored her were required to do penance. So a little snippet from that treatise 
says, have you believed there is some female whom the stupid vulgar call Holda, who is able to do a certain thing, such that those deceived by the devil affirm themselves by necessity and by command to be required to do, that is, with a crowd of demons transformed into the likeness of women on fixed nights to be required to ride upon certain beasts and to themselves be numbered in their company? If you have performed participation in this unbelief, you are required to do penance for one year on designated fast days. So they are calling her out specifically as an enemy of the church. Do you think there was like a go-to book, like a textbook, the anti-goddess textbook? And they're like, okay, here's your go-to. When you when you encounter a new goddess, first make her a witch. Yep. If not, if that doesn't work, try groundhog or some other form of small animal. And if not that, then, you know, it's yeah. just like it's the go-to each time. Yeah, absolutely. So Yule, the longest day of winter, was her holiday. So again, mm-hmm. she's a solstice, um, has a solstice celebration. And until recently, she was one of the sort of Christmas gift givers um, in certain parts of Germany. So she would be uh, in a, with a red cloak and she would fill um, children's shoes with goodies and then you know, fly through the night to the next household. German children left milk and bread for her, out for her, in hopes of uh, currying her favor. So when when they didn't have to worry about her stealing their soul. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. So yeah, she is a, a pre, you know, pre even pre Norse um, German goddess. So that's. Hulda or Hulda. Oh, and of course, she is associated with eventually turning into Frau Holle, who um, comes from the Grimm's folktale, Gold Mary and Pitch Mary. Um, a young girl falls down a well and finds herself in a strange underworld. She helps every creature she meets. And when she comes across an old woman in a cottage, she, you know, cleans and helps around the house and you know, just is in gen- generally is industrious and good. And so after a while, the woman sends her back home um, and she gives her a gift, which is that every time she speaks, a gold piece falls from her lips. No, so her there's mother, a kid to have around you. Right? Her mother's like, damn, I got to get me more of those. <laughs> so, she, so she throws her lazy sister down the well so the sister finds herself in the same place. But of course, you know, because she's the lazy sister, she doesn't help any anyone she meets. And when she meets the old woman, she just sort of, you know, lays around the house complaining. And uh, so finally, Frau Holle sends her back home. However, every time she speaks, a toad drops from her mouth. Now, that poor girl, I... <laughs> She's just lazy. You didn't need to have toads coming out of her mouth, but I could just see Frau Holla going, you know what? Out of here. Exactly. You snooze, you lose. But um, it is said that uh, when it snows in the winter, that it is Frau Holla shaking out the bedding and making the down in the bedclothes, the goose feathers in the pillows and comforters to fly through the air. And that's what the snow is. She's also um, said that uh, she knits the white blanket of the snow. When it rains, she's doing her washing. Lightning is her scotching the flax. And the fog uh, is the smoke from her chimney when she's cooking. Hmm. Very, very rustic imagery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's a homebody. So that is Holda. Mm-hmm. And um, now we go to Norse. So same region, but a little bit later. Um, and uh, we talk about Skadi, who mm-hmm. is a Norse frost giantess who became the goddess of winter. Mm-hmm. So Skadi oh. was born a frost giant, um, but also in the... Sh- a beautiful young maiden, even though she had the blue skin of the frost giants. Um, she was the, dep- the whole thing with the giants and the gods. And we've talked about it. On yes, episodes. exactly. It's just so fascinating. Yeah. And I'm sure if we just 
took a long, took a journey backwards in time to find out exactly how this all broke out. Yeah. And where these different groupings came from. We yeah. I mean, definitely it looks like um, the old culture and the new culture mm-hmm. clash. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but uh, she, unlike a lot of the frost giants, which are depicted as being, you know, evil, angry, sort of um, uncultured, uncouth, uh, she was considered to be a kind-hearted giantess. Um, she was still, however, uh, tough as she came, but um, she was not known to start fights. Um, and... Uh, so, just finish them, right? <laughs> right, just finish them. Well, when uh, Thor got, in, got into a fight with her father, and Thor killed her father, um, so she inherited his mountain lands and his fortress. And rather than you know f- uh, m- mounting a revenge war against Asgard, um, she instead got all dolled up in her armor and marched right into Asgard and demanded from Odin compensation for her father's death which was you know a tradition like if you killed in someone's family then that family could demand a compensation price for the death and uh so odin readily agreed and she asked for balder's hand now balder as you our audience may know was of course the um the himbo of the asgard Everybody loved him. He was handsome and all of the goddesses were falling all over themselves to be, you know, to, to get him for um, their spouse. So, you know, when she marched in and asked for Baldur's hand, you know, all, I, I just picture all of the male gods throwing up their hands like, oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> but um so because so many people wanted Balder and Balder was not about to be given to a giant, you know, a frost giant, uh, when there were so many other goddesses that were vying for his attention. So they, they told her, well, you can't have him outright, but if you can pick him out of a lineup, then you can have him. So they put this lineup where they had uh, all of the gods stand behind a blanket and she had to look at their feet. And judging by their feet, she had to figure out who Balder was. So she figured, you know, he's got to have the cutest feet. So she picked the god that had the cutest feet. And it turned out not to be Balder, but Njord, who is um, uh, a sea god. So they were married on the spot, but unfortunately, they did not get on. Um, he didn't want to live in a frost giant castle in the cold mountains. And she said the sound of the sea kept her up. So she couldn't, so she couldn't stay in his house by the ocean. So they went their separate ways, but, uh, she remained, remained a friend of the Asgardians and, uh, would help them when they asked for her help. I don't think they deserved her help. I mean, that's a short change. I mean, <laughs> they kill her dad, then they can't give her the guy because, well, he's too prized or something. So they make her do this kind of strange game show, you know, guessing game about feet for whatever reason. And then, and then she gets some guy she doesn't like. So anyway, I don't yeah, know. Exactly, I feel for her. Exactly. So. Um, you know. She, they, she, both she and Yord got a raw deal out of this one, without yeah. a doubt. But anyway, they parted, you know, amicably, went their separate ways. And uh, she went back to her fortress, lived there, became a master huntress, perfected the art of skiing, and, uh, and became an excellent huntress and trapper in, the, in her wintry mountains. So by by dint of her marriage to Njord, she became a goddess in the Asgard pantheon. So uh, from then on, she became the goddess of winter. Hmm. Okay. Um, going back to the Slavic uh, region, we have uh, Morana, who is, again, also called Morena, Marzana, Mara, Mora, all names for the same Slavic goddess of death, winter, and the cycle of death and rebirth. She's also closely associated with dreams. 
And the only information I was able to find about her is that um, it is likely that her cult drowned an effigy in the river on the spring equinox as an end to the harsh winter season. And hmm. today there is a, mar- a tradition called the Marzana, which is still carried out in some towns in Central and Eastern Europe, where an effigy of old woman winter is carried through the village and thrown amid rejoicing out of the town on the spring equinox. <laughs> so oh they literally okay. throw out winter. They throw an old lady out into the... Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so then we come to the Aztecs, which again, I didn't associate, you know, I didn't expect there to be an Aztec winter goddess. This was the surprise I'd alluded to earlier. Yeah. Who would have guessed? So what's this deal? So she is one of the Aztec mother goddesses. So again, she's a, she is a great goddess who has many aspects, but one of the aspects is that she is the goddess of winter. Um, she is called Tonan or Tonantzin. Uh, Tonan, uh, I think it means uh, our honored mother. There we go. Tonantzin means our honored mother. Now let me let me just ask you. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, when we talk about a winter goddess for the Aztecs, are we talking about snow and cold? Because winter is obviously there everywhere. But it doesn't yeah. have the same. But it doesn't necessarily mean yeah. snow. You know, the funny thing is, she is dressed in white again. Hmm. So, you know, everywhere has mountains, and I would imagine right. in the higher altitudes right. you get snow. Sure. So sure. yeah, even though we think of you know Aztec, we think of heat and jungle and all that sort of thing. Um, you know, in their region, there is some snow as well. So. At the winter solstice, there was a a ceremony, a festival to her. And at this festival, they chose a woman who would sort of be her representative, who uh, would wear the Tonantzin mask. Um, And she would dress entirely in white and would be covered with shells and eagle feathers. Eagle feathers, um, eagles were one of the familiars for Tonantzin. And she would dance and weep and sing all the way through the crowds and a priest would follow her. And then at a point in the ceremony, the priest would take the goddess mask from the woman and ceremonially kill the mask to kill winter. And then the next day, that same woman would uh, be <laughs> would be thrown would be thrown in the river no, thank like goodness. the effigy. I know okay. I was waiting for that, but no, um, something very, very unusual for, you know, reading it. I'm sure it, it symbolized something, but the men in the village would, would bonk the woman with little bags full of green paper. Oh, that's, oh, I get it. So that's not so, (laughs) yeah, at least they didn't throw her in the river. They just beat her. So, okay. No, it was, it, you know, they were little bags of paper. So it wasn't that they beat her. But, no, you know, I know. It's just, it's so crazy what <laughs> happens to women. And, okay. I know. <laughs> I know, right? But, um, but yeah, so they would, ta- you know, they would like tap her with these bags full of green paper. Um, uh, uh, we're assuming that it was to sort of, um, you know, promote the green new life that was being born in the new York year and sort of, you know, reinforce this the goddess's association with new green living things. Well, the, the rituals that we question that happened to women aside, it is interesting that all of these cultures want to like really throw winter out and chase winter out because of course we all feel some of us love winter, but there is the sense, I guess, for probably places where in those times they're harvesting and you're, you're waiting, you know, it's not like now, of course, where you can just go down to the supermarket and get exactly. what you need. Exactly. Um, it was so, vital yeah. that the sun return because if it didn't, everyone would starve. Exactly. Yeah. So um, there is an interesting association with Tonantzin, which mm-hmm. is um, that she uh, may have been Christianized into the Our Lady of Guadalupe, 
legend because the <sighs> hill where Juan Diego had his vision of the Lady of Guadalupe was the site of an ancient temple of Tonantzin. And Tonantzin's name means our honored mother. That's really so, interesting. I, I happen to really like Our Lady of Guadalupe uh, as a Catholic. It's an and interesting. Of course, her festival, uh, Lady of Guadalupe's festival, is December twelfth. So it's also a winter festival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. So now we come to Poliahu, who is the Hawaiian goddess of snow, ice, and compassion. And in that case, as we were talking about, she specifically is a snow and ice goddess. Yes, indeed. Yep. She lives atop Mauna Kei. Uh, Mauna Kei? Okay. I, I looked this up to see how to pronounce it. Nope. That's... Well, if we have, uh, I'm sure we do, our Hawaiian listeners will tell us properly in a message right. or a note. So please yes. let us know. Poliahu is how you pronounce her name. And uh, Mauna Kei is the mountain where she lived. Although in some places I saw um, they said uh, that she lived atop um, Kilauea. But but most of the sources that I saw was Mauna Kei. So... Mauna Kei, if you measure it from the seafloor, is the world's tallest mountain. So in winter, even though it's in Hawaii, in winter, the top of the mountain uh, gets covered with snow. Mm -hmm. So it is said that she spreads her white kapa across the sacred mountain. Her name means cloaked blossom or temple bosom. Um, Poliahu is said to be the most beautiful of all the Hawaiian goddesses. And there's a legend that she actually created part of um, the the the, sh- the land mass. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that happened is one day she was sledding with her sisters. Uh, now sledding is slightly different. Uh, they uh, you're actually racing on on sort of. Uh, I guess it's sort of similar to boogie boards are today, um, down the hardened lava on the icy slopes of the mountain. Which would interestingly make sense because obviously Hawaii is where we get surfing. It's a birthplace. So yeah. boogie boards are like snow surfing. Right? There you go. But, um, but it can be quite dangerous. You can, you can reach speeds of 50 miles an hour over, you know, rocky terrain. So needless to say, it's um it's kind of a dangerous sport, um, but uh, she and her sisters um, were sledding, and there are various versions of the of the story. But um, she and Pele are sort of arch rivals, and so uh, Poliahu was. Um, was sledding and this stranger comes up and says, Hey, you know, can I challenge you to a race? So uh, they both slide down and uh, Poliahu wins the race. So then they switch sleds and do it again. You know, maybe I had the advantage, maybe I had a better sled. So they do another race where they switch sleds and Poliahu again wins quite easily. Um, so the stranger has a temper tantrum. And her temper explodes and she reveals herself to be Pele in disguise, who was, who apparently is known for having a serious temper. So Mm -hmm. she, the ground starts shaking, the smoke starts pouring out of the cracks in the earth and all of this lava starts to erupt everywhere. Well, of course, you know, Poliahu is an ice goddess and a snow goddess. So lava is her, her nemesis. So the two of them get into a fight and there's smoke and fire and lava and ice and rain and snow and mist and water and all of this um, conflagration of uh, these different forces. Um, The lava freezes and becomes the 
southern end of the island. So the island is formed by the fight between these two sisters, one ice and one fire. It's very funny. And again, a very vivid story. Really, really interesting. Yeah. And, you know, it makes sense because the Hawaiian coastline, the Hawaiian, the, all of the land of Hawaii is, is a result of this interplay between mm -hmm. lava and water, between the heat and the cool. Wow. The Hawaiian snow goddess. Kaliahu. Indeed. Well, this was really fun, really quite a, a winter journey. Indeed. Indeed. So Thank you. for well, those you of you... A, hold it. Let's oh, give you well, a, a round of applause. Thank you so much. <laughs> so those of our listeners who are in snowy climbs right now, uh, you have a multitude of goddesses to, uh, to speak to about the weather and uh and hopefully to curry favor with and to thank indeed and please don't throw any old ladies into the river no no that's right do. out no way so <laughs> thank you don this is fun <laughs> this is great so i want to thank you for all the research and the work you did on that and for giving us these really vivid stories uh sharing them with us so uh as always, this is the 34 Circe Salon, Make Matriarchy Create Again. We are praising goddesses, and uh, thanks to Dawn Sam Alden. Thank you, Dawn. And thank you, Sean Marlon Newcomb. We will be back with you again soon. Take care. Take care, everyone, and blessed be. <laughs>